Hello and welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Spartans. It is Monday, March 30th, 2020 is the year. I'm your host, Will Hunter. I am not joined by my co-host, Matt Sheehan, at the moment, and that is because what you are about to listen to is a pre-recorded interview. We have coming up a sit-down with well, not really a sit-down, it was over-the-phone, an over-the-phone interview uh, with former Michigan State quarterback, current Minnesota Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk was kind enough to give us about a half an hour of his time and, you know, talk about uh, the primarily the 2011 win over Wisconsin, the Hail Mary uh, leading up to that play, uh, during the play, after the play, and then we talk... Um, you know, about some other stuff as well that season. So uh, what you're going to hear is Matt, and only Matt, interviewing Kirk Cousins, and that's because right as we sat down to record, uh, my internet went out, and uh, nobody could hear me on the call, and so I had to bail out on the call. Matt did it solo, um, but it really honestly doesn't matter because uh, well, we weren't going to be saying much regardless. Matt, you know, if I was in there, I wasn't going to be saying much. Uh, Matt doesn't say much either. It's just ask questions because you guys are here uh, to hear Kirk Cousins talk. Uh, and that's what we're going to bring to you in just a second. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find Locked on Spartans wherever you get your podcasts. We do this every single day, five days a week. We do half an hour shows on the world of Michigan State football and basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Kirk Cousins joins us to talk about the 2011 win over Wisconsin. All right. Uh, now we are kicking off this podcast with uh, definitely the biggest guest we've had. We have Michigan State legend, Minnesota Viking quarterback, and if I could throw a personal, personal note in there, my favorite MSU player of all time, any sport, Kirk Cousins, Kirk, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, excited to talk about this game with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to be on. Very kind of you to say that and uh, honored that you would uh, invite me to be on, on the podcast. Looking forward to chatting with you. For sure. Now, this actually is – I'm going to come clean here. This is not our first interaction. Uh, after the Michigan game, that same year as the Wisconsin game in 2011, you somehow got yourself into the student section – to celebrate, hug, scream with a bunch of students. I was one of those students in the section that you were celebrating with. So it is great to hear from you again, Kirk. I'm sure you remember it as fondly as I do. So nice to see you again. Well, I, I remember that well. Uh, that was a thrill for me. And uh, anytime you beat Michigan four years in a row, it's deserving of getting in the student section. <laughs> it's not bad, especially with those sweet pro combat jerseys, too. That's just the icing on the cake as well. <laughs> No doubt. I still got that jersey, and I'm glad I do. It was a special jersey. Love it. Love it. So primarily tonight, we'll be talking about the 2011 game against Wisconsin, the Rocket game uh, for all of our listeners at home. If you haven't rewatched it 4,000 times like I have, I would consider maybe watching it right now before this podcast gets any further. Um, but Kirk, you're... You're kind of a busy guy. I got the feeling uh, you have a family now. You're an NFL quarterback. Me on my end, I've watched this game a thousand times since that night has ended. How about you? Like, how often have you rewatched this game? And when's the last time that you've watched it? Well, I see the same two or three plays from that game, you know, every so often, especially on uh, Big Ten Network in the, in the summers. They'll replay a lot of the old games. And when I'm flipping channels like everyone else, I'll inevitably run into it. But 
there are plays from a lot of those games during my college years that I've completely forgotten about and Mm -hmm. they'll pop up in conversation with old teammates or again, maybe I tune into a a game on Big Ten Network that's being replayed and I'll forget about, you know, a moment in the second quarter, third quarter that ended up having a big impact on the final final result. So um, I probably need to go back and relive that a little bit more. But I guess while I'm still playing football, I'm always looking forward. But there's going to come a day where uh, I'll go back and be pretty nostalgic. And uh, it's emotional. A lot of, lot of, lot of memories there. And uh, it'll be 10 years this, this next year uh, since we won the Big Ten title in 2010. So we definitely need to get, get back to campus and get together to remember that, that year and, and then the year that followed. That's insane. 2010 was my freshman year, so I've never felt older in my entire life. That that is now 10 years. <laughs> that is crazy to me. Um, so back then for the game leading up to it, for us fans at least, just from a fan's perspective, just your old lame fan. Uh, you guys had the loss at Notre Dame, but you then followed it up with wins against Michigan and then Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. So for us fans, this felt like a game that really would tell us if MSU was contenders or pretenders. But what about from the locker room standpoint for you guys leading into this game against number six ranked Wisconsin? Did you guys feel like that at all? Or was it another week or what was the mindset in the locker room for you guys heading into this one? Well, that was a journey really for me from when I committed to Michigan state, they hadn't been to a bowl game in five years. Mm -hmm. Coach Antonio was new. uh, And it was always about earning respect in the big 10 and on the national scene. And, but in 2010, we won 11 games, won the big 10, but because it was a three-way tie for the big 10 title. And then in our bowl game, we got beaten so badly by Alabama. So much of the success of 2010 was immediately forgotten all offseason by by the media, by the public, and really even within our locker room, which at the time was disappointing to have had such a memorable year and then kind of have it be forgotten so easily. Finally, my fifth year, our senior year, uh, to, I believe, be our our best year, if you will. And the the loss at Notre Dame was was disappointing. I think we underperformed that day. And uh, maybe, you know, if we played 10 times, we'd be able to win more than we'd lose. But that day we didn't get it done. Um, and you're right. You know, the Wisconsin game was a college game day on campus, primetime television spot. And it was kind of that moment where you say it's now or never. It's it's the time to separate ourselves. Uh, if we think we belong in a conversation, you got to win this game at home in primetime. And I remember sitting in the Kellogg Center hotel room during the morning watching the college football coverage and nearly everybody picked to come into the Spartan Stadium and beat us. And uh, that didn't sit too well with me. No, I bet it it didn't. And we'll just get the bad part of the game out of the way right off the top. The the first quarter, not the most ideal first quarter, I'm sure, for you guys going down 14-0, what seemed to be right off the jump. And I'm just sorry to say right now, I got to be completely transparent with you that I did look at my friend in the student section and say, you maybe maybe want to perhaps leave at halftime. I, I don't like how this is going so far. Um, <laughs> for you guys on the sideline, was was that an uh oh moment? Did something change with the mentality of the team when it was fourteen zero, or what? What was the the aura around the sideline like when it got to that point so quickly for Wisconsin? You know, I don't remember there being discouragement. I think we felt uh, uh, confidence and. and uh, it's a long football game, and I think sometimes you can get a feel early for how you're how you're matching up. If you can handle the line of scrimmage, if your game plan during the week was the right plan for the defense you're facing, or if they're throwing something at you that's going to require a lot of adjustments and it's um, unsettling you, 
Um, and many times an early score doesn't really tell the story. And I, I remember being very comfortable on the sideline as we regrouped and as we processed. I didn't feel like Wisconsin was beating us more so that, that we just weren't sustaining a drive and being able to come away with points. And there's a big difference there. So um, I think we felt like there was enough football left to be played in that game to be able to get back in it. But anytime you get down, not only do you need to get a run on as an offense, but you're also relying on your defense to give you some stops so that you have time to get back in it. For sure. And earlier you were talking about forgotten plays that you may have just completely missed from memory. We watching this game. The second quarter probably had a lot of those plays because it really had everything. It had a safety. It had a blocked field goal. It had fourth and two touchdown to BJ Cunningham. It had a blocked punt for a touchdown. Is there any play in that sequence that sticks out to you as a true momentum shifter and something where you were like, okay, we're back in this thing? Well, from the offense's perspective, I think it was that fourth down that we went for it in plus territory and we're kind of on the edge of field goal range. And, you know, you're not really feeling like you have three points in the bank. So you go for it. And we did a drop back pass, which isn't what we always did on fourth and short, but we went for it. And I remember BJ Cunningham wasn't initially open at the start of the play, but he shifted uh, inside of a zoning defender. I threw the ball about as hard as I could. And because yeah. BJ had such great hands, it was no no problem for him to bring it in. And then he did the rest. I mean, he pretty much went from a standstill catching the football in a static route to, you know, turning on the burners and pulling away from the entire defense. And so that was a big momentum boost to go from fourth down, which could be giving them the ball back to seven points. And uh, uh, I'll never forget when BJ scored <laughs> – he Sparty comes into the end zone to meet him and (laughs) BJ gave Sparty the indication that they were going to chest bump. And then for whatever reason, BJ took a left turn and turned around and Sparty, Sparty had a little nice save with a fist bump, but uh, uh, I still laugh at that when I see the highlight. No, that was hype too, because I believe that touchdown was right at the student section too. So that place was rocking. I remember vividly that night. All right. We'll be right back with more from Kirk cousins in just a minute. So BJ Cunningham, obviously incredible receiver. Uh, he was so all season. Keyshawn Martin was also a phenomenal receiver too. Especially in this game though, he had a rushing touchdown, receiving touchdown. He had a big play on third and eight on a shovel pass that extended the rocket drive, which we'll get to later. What separated uh, Keyshawn Martin though from any other target that you've had in college or maybe even pro if you want to go that far? Well, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by good skill position players during all my time at Michigan State. And um, B.J. Cunningham was probably the most complete receiver and was very special, and his production showed that. Mark Dell did some amazing things for us Mm -hmm. for several years. But Keyshawn, what he had was speed. He was uh, just a gear faster than anybody else we had on offense and, uh, and against many of the people we would play. And so he became the guy to use on the deep throws. He became the guy to use on reverses. He was a uh, high school quarterback, so he had a great sense with the ball in his hand. He was very calm under pressure. He was our guy to use on trick plays with somebody else throwing the football because we knew he had that background as a quarterback. And so many times, if if we did call a trick play and the throw wasn't open, he was always very smart and aware not to force the ball, and he would pull it down and run. Um, the ball in his hands was always a good thing. So we just tried to get creative with how to get the ball in his hands. And um, he was just special with it. I, I look back on and wish our paths would have been able to cross in the NFL because I think both Keyshawn and BJ 
if I had been able to play with them again at the pro level, we could have had the same success again. That's how highly I think of them. And I don't doubt that. I mean, there's probably a little bit of homerism with me saying that, but yeah, you guys had electric chemistry on the field the entire season. Um, before we get to the fourth quarter, cause that's next up on my list. Uh, is there any play that happened in the first three quarters that you think it's overlooked that you remember that something maybe the common fan wouldn't realize was that big of a play? Well, I just think the, the, the blocked punt was a big deal. Uh, the safety, uh, these are plays that are enormous uh, game-changing plays, you know, points, field position um, that, you know, they're, they're obviously important, but as the game goes on and there's other big plays that happen, like you said, late in the game, they can be forgotten. And you, you always do this with close games, even now at the pro level. You look back at early plays and you say, boy, if the ref hadn't thrown a flag in that moment or if that ball wasn't blocked or if that uh, guard hadn't missed his assignment, the entire outcome could be different. And uh, when the margin for error is that small, it's just why your preparation and your detail and your communication is so important because you never know when the next play is going to turn the game. And I think detail and preparation is a pretty good segue into the next topic because Wisconsin, they did score two late touchdowns to tie the game up at 31-31. So here's MSU. You guys get the ball back. One twenty-six left on the clock, two timeouts. So I just want to know when a drive like that starts, do you specifically talk about what your goal is before the drive? Are you looking to just get into field goal range? Or what is the game plan heading into a potential game-winning drive like that before you take the field? Well, there's a few different thoughts going through my mind as a quarterback. Obviously, game management is very important, and mm-hmm. so you have a few things to think about. One is you don't want to give the ball back to Wisconsin with enough time left for them to be able to go down and win the game. Two is you want to be – Uh, only aggressive enough to uh, at least get some yards such that you're churning clock and switching the field position so that if you don't finish the drive in plus territory, either kicking a field goal or scoring a touchdown, that you're at least moving the football, getting the first first down, so that if you do have to run the punt team on, uh, there's not much time left and you're truly flipping the field. So it's very important to uh, get the first first down, get the ball moving, no need to be aggressive early. And so my approach was take what they give me. They're going to play soft, likely to keep everything in front of them and not allow a big play. Use that to our advantage. The, our teammates will be smart to get out of bounds and preserve clock. So will our coaches. And, uh, and we'll see how far we can get. But don't try to make it happen or go get the game winner. Let it come to you. And if it does, it does. If it doesn't, we'll go to overtime. And I think that's one of those – approaches you learn as a quarterback I think my natural instinct is to just go get it and make it happen and when you do that Mm -hmm. the defenses are too good and you tend to get in trouble that is interesting and what's also interesting to me at least and it's interesting to me because point blank I don't have the arm strength to make the pass that you did for Rocket so I have to know what is the art of the Hail Mary are you looking for a certain guy in the end zone are you just throwing to a spot or is the strategy just simply throw it far like what's going through your mind on that play so obviously there's a level of luck a lot of luck on on a hail you know it's not quite the science that other plays are but i will say um anywhere i was before or after my years at michigan state i don't know that i've ever been coached or 
prepped on a Hail Mary as well or as often as we were at Michigan State. It was something we repped every single week. We had a blocking scheme for it. The running back, if you watch the film, Le'Veon Bell was able to chip the defensive end, which enabled me to get outside the pocket, which then bought me the time I needed in the clear path to make the throw I was able to make with, with my feet set which also bought time for the receivers to get underneath the throw and not still be running to the throw. So there were a lot of little pieces that we had worked on in detail. And actually uh, the play before, I believe coach Bielema called a timeout mm-hmm. uh, to see our, to see our initial formation and see how they wanted to defend it. And when he did that, we came over to the sideline and coach D'Antonio, who's a defensive minded coach uh, many times didn't get too involved in, in the offense. And he said on the headset, you know, which way are we running this Hail Mary? And uh, the answer was, we're running it to the left. And we were going to run it to the left. And Coach D'Antonio said, again, he doesn't speak up all that often, but he said, I want Kirk rolling to his right. He's a right-handed quarterback, and I want him throwing to his right. And while it was simplistic, and in some ways we kind of said, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. We take pride in being able to throw both ways. Uh, Looking back, that probably was the right call, obviously because of the outcome, but even more so just because it is a little naturally easier to throw to the right. So why not do it if you only have one shot at it? So it was a great, you know, strategic change in the moment when, you know, if coach Bielema doesn't call that timeout, the play is going to be run to the left. So we made that change. Le'Veon did a great job chipping the defensive end so I could get outside. And at that point, I just got to set my feet and I have about a, you know, eight yard window where the ball needs to land somewhere about a yard into the end zone to about, you know, eight yards deep in the end zone, any deeper and it's out of bounds. So you try to land it right in the middle of the end zone if you can and and then hope for the best. And my thought was DJ Cunningham would be the guy to catch it because he's a high jumper, has the strongest hands and was just so natural at attacking the football. And that was who I thought would have the best chance. But for whatever reason, uncharacteristically, it bounced right off his face mask right. and, and into, Keith's, into Keith's arms. All right, back in just a minute to hear from Kirk Cousins' final segment, segment three, coming right up. Into Keith's arms and placed at about the half-inch line, which that didn't sit well with a lot of Spartan <laughs> Stadium. But when you guys are in the huddle on the sidelines, what are you talking about when the ref is reviewing that play? Are you talking about overtime? Are you talking about how BS of a spot that was by the ref? What's going in the headset and to the huddle during that? Well, I'm gathering information like everybody else, and I had one of the worst vantage points to be 50 yards away. Sure, Um, right. I, I did see that Keith had caught it. I had very little depth perception. I thought it had bounced back out of the end zone about three or four yards. So I didn't even think it was oh, wow. close. So my my initial expectation was we didn't get it. It was great to see that we executed the play well, but we didn't get it. And uh, we'll go to overtime, and with the way we've been moving the ball and playing, uh, if they're a good team, we're a good team, this will be fun. Um, that being said, I, I did notice Keyshawn Martin's reaction. Keyshawn is not a person to show emotion. He was very even keel, steady Eddie, kind of gave you a blank stare, didn't give you a lot. And so when I saw Keyshawn reacting to the ref's decision to not rule a touchdown so demonstratively, <laughs> yeah. I just said, that's not who Keyshawn is normally. He, he, he must really be convicted that we scored. And so I knew we got a shot there because you got some guys on the team who argue with refs and always want to call and you kind of learn that they're, they're full of it. You know, they're not, you can't really believe them, but Keyshawn wasn't that way. So when he was reacting the way he was, I thought we got something here. 
And then my quarterback coach, much the same way, uh, he wasn't going to blow smoke. He wasn't going to tell me if it wasn't true. And he he just said, they're, they're telling us we may have a shot here, Kirk. So you got to prepare for overtime, but we're hearing good reports as to what this could look like from upstairs. I walked over to a TV guy. Oh, nice. still on time. There's, not, there's yeah. nothing to do. I walked over to a guy holding a camera or a sound deal over by about the 10 yard line and just said, what are you hearing? And he said, I'm hearing that, he scored. I'm hearing they drew a line and tried to make it as precise as possible. And I'm hearing that he scored. And I said, don't tell me that because <laughs> I got to go play overtime. Don't get my hopes up. He said, well, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. So at that point it was going to be tough for me mentally if they then said he didn't score to get back. But I was optimistic that, that we had just won the game, but cautiously optimistic. And then obviously the announcement came and it was very memorable at that point. Yeah, because the ref kind of did botch a little bit. Uh, really, who cares? We still won. It was awesome. But he, when he did infamously say the runner did cross the line from that point on, what do you remember from the rest of the night, just from your vantage point? <laughs> well, uh, as we said earlier, this was a special one because college game day was there. It was a, a night game. It was at home. Uh, it was a, an ability to prove who we were as a team. And this was an undefeated Wisconsin team, a team that, um, you know, had national title aspirations and had all the reasons to think that they could do that. So to beat them, I think was a big deal, a big step. Um, you know, I just, I kind of remember feeling like Jim Valvano when they won the national championship, yeah. you're running around, don't really know what to do. You're looking for someone to hug, but there's so many people and you just all motion. We wanted to, to let it out. And then, you work so hard 12 months a year for that moment. You don't want it to end too quickly. And so a part of me was let's stay out here on the field as long as we can. Let's go shake the student section's hands. Let's go high five the marching band. Let's kind of take a lap. So I try to revel in it maybe more than most people, just because I said these moments don't come around every now and then let's try to enjoy them when we, when we can. And uh, I remember going into the locker room uh, obviously doing, you know, singing the fight song and uh, Coach D giving his, his closing, you know, remarks and we kind of break. And then John Lewandowski, who handled the media, mm -hmm. uh, just grabbed me and said, you know, the ESPN wants you back out on the field, which that was you know, not a common thing to have happen. So then I walked back out. Many people in the stadium hadn't left yet. And so you just see the disbelief, the excitement, the energy. Um, it was so special. And, uh, you know, it was funny because then when I went to train for the NFL draft, I trained alongside Russell Wilson. We spent about two months together before the combine every day working out. And so that moment did come up and, you know, he, he and I uh, would joke about that. And we were at the pro bowl again this year together and we crossed paths every now and then. And usually when we cross paths, that game does come up. I'm sure it does. My God, how could it not? <laughs> so for us students in the student section, the way we celebrate, we just go back to the dorms. We drink some Burnett or something like that. And we call it a night at about 2 a.m. When you're out of the locker room, you don't have to give every detail, obviously. But like, what is a night like for the rest of you guys? Like, do you just go back home and try to fall asleep? Or what, what is campus like from the vantage point of a player after that game when you do leave Spartan Stadium? So like every other student, you know, we have an apartment either on campus or just right off campus. So uh, whether it was an, a noon game or a, a late game, 
when the game was over and I was done with my media commitments, I'd put on my travel sweats and my family would be waiting by the gate where the players exit. And uh, I would meet my family. I'd walk with them to their car. They would drive me back to, uh, to my apartment. And usually I spent a lot of that time in the car calling, you know, ESPN radio and different national radios that, that John Lewandowski had set up for me. So after a game like that, you can imagine I was doing a few of those call-ins on my cell phone as I was getting back to our apartment. And then really for me, it was just kind of gathering with family and, and obviously I had a roommate, uh, you know, teammates. So um, you kind of spend that time together as well. And when it was a night game, it was, like you said, it's, it's hard to go to sleep on any kind of reasonable hour. So it was a two or 3 AM kind of a thing. And uh, I think they may even have replayed the game on ESPN at like 1 AM. And so that's about when I'm getting home and getting settled and, Perfect, yeah. and inevitably end up watching it. And uh, it was, it was just time you just spend with your buddies and kind of re rehash it a little bit. And simply put, this might be a, a tough question on your end to answer, but where does this rank amongst MSU games for, for you that you've played in? That's a great question. Um, Thank you. I appreciate I that. The game itself was a very well-played game. I mean, when you look back and you think of the names of both teams and the pro-style offense, like mm-hmm. thing, it was it was good players on both. It was good on good, and uh, I think that adds to it. I think the fact that um, Wisconsin likely could have would have been playing for a national title had they not lost that game. Um, the fact that uh, we ended up meeting again in the Big Ten championship game. I don't know how you rank one higher. I think yeah. there were other games that have that have a great deal of meaning to me. Beating Penn State to truly clinch a Big Ten championship is something that meant a great deal to me. Um, playing in the first ever Big Ten championship game meant a great deal to me. And while that game didn't go our way, on the, similarly on basically the last play, the way we played in that game, the way we fought, uh, and, and the opportunity to be in that game, I thought was very, very special. Um, and then certainly the Outback Bowl to be triple overtime. My last game as a Spartan to have that be my final memory was was also a a uh, very special game. But I think the Hail Mary finish is hard to beat, and I would likely that's probably the game that comes up the most often when I just run into people and they want to talk about a game. It's it's that one, and uh, and then probably the Outback Bowl is second. Is there a strong third place game on that list or is it pretty squarely? Yeah. You know, I think, I think the big 10 championship game, you know, comes up. I mean, that's one that is also replayed quite a bit. I think those are the three that get replayed on big 10 network or ESPN classic. It's the Outback bowl because of the nature of triple overtime. And again, playing a good football team. Uh, The fact it was a two minute drill and all that drama at the end. And then um, I would say those two games against Wisconsin. And then really the 2010 victory over Wisconsin was probably one of the more underrated victories of our time at Michigan State. That team went on to win, I believe, 11 games, went 11-1. and one. Names like J.J. Watt on that roster, James White and others, really good football players who have done some great things in the pros. And, um, you know, to beat Wisconsin in 2010 as well, I thought was a, was a big, big win. Um, so... We had some epic battles against Wisconsin, and uh, rightfully so. They were a good team, and we were a good team, and that's the way it should have been. Absolutely, and this will be our last question tonight. Um, Just to jump ahead a few months after the Wisconsin game to the Outback Bowl. Now, as a Sappy fan, I think, wow, what a great way for Kirk and all the seniors to end their career. But 
you as the player, was there extra sweetness ending your season, ending your MSU career on a game that dramatic, that big, or is it not really anything that, that big from you guys' point of view? Oh, it was a big deal. I think the frustration for us was we had always dreamed of the Rose Bowl. That was really the goal, sure. especially when you won. we won the Big Ten the year before, and not to get into too much technicalities, but in 2010, they had changed the rule at the start of that season that instead of the team, if there was a tie for the Big Ten title, it used to be the team that uh, had not been to the Rose Bowl, uh, so there had been the longest time since going to the Rose Bowl, they would get the ability to go to the Rose Bowl. And then anybody else who tied, who had been to the Rose Bowl more recently, would, would go to the other bowls. Well, they changed that rule in 2010 and just said the highest-ranked team in the BCS will go to the Rose Bowl, regardless of who's been recently. And we ended up uh, having a three-way tie for the Big Ten title at the end of that season. And we were the team that had been it had been the longest since we had gone to the Rose Bowl. So if not for that rule change, we would have gone to the Rose Bowl at the end of the 2010 season. That rule changed right before that season. So it was a little, it was a little tough to not go to the Rose Bowl in 2010. when We felt like if we were playing under the system that existed for years, we would have gone. And then to get into 2011 and be literally one play away, you know, the punt that was returned by Keyshawn down to, uh, you know, the two or three yard line and to have that play called back. And then Wisconsin kneels it out and the game's over you know, to this day, that was just tough to accept. So to twice get snubbed for the Rose Bowl, it was tough to get back up on the horse and get ready for the Outback Bowl against a good Georgia team when really all we talked about, all we cared about was the Rose Bowl, and we had come Mm -hmm. within inches of it twice and not gotten it. So I'm proud of the fact that we as seniors rallied the troops and prepared and didn't dismiss that game or look ahead to the draft or signing with an agent, but we said we got a job to finish you finish what you start. Coach Antonio always said, complete your circles. Yep. And and we wanted to complete our circle by winning that game. And uh, we didn't make it easy on ourselves. We got down early. We didn't play that great. I didn't play that great. But when it mattered at the end, we made enough plays. And uh, it was a big deal to go out a winner. To answer your question, I, I really can't imagine leaving that field uh, having lost. And that would have been – I would not have won a bowl game in, in my five years at Michigan State. So that was a big deal. And uh, I think that win also was another stepping stone to say, hey, we can play with some really good SEC teams and we need to take another step as a program now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kurt, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight to talk about the Wisconsin game and, of course, the Outback Bowl at the end there. Um, if we're ever in Holland at the same time by any chance, uh, for a third interaction, I would love to buy you a burger at Goob's, uh, if, if that's cool with you. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think they may even have a burger named the Spartan Burger there. So uh, uh, I'd be happy to join you. We could reminisce about uh, a lot of Spartan memories from our years there. So uh, honored to be on with you. And, uh, I wish you all the best going forward. Cool. Thanks. I really do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, well wishes to you and your family. Hope you guys are staying safe and uh, entertained during this quarantine of boredom. So awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Kirk. I really do appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, man. No problem. We'll see you. All right. Thanks so much everyone for listening to the show. Thanks again to Kirk for making some time for us. Um, Lots of good stories in there, good information, really fun interview. I'm <laughs> legitimately mad that my internet failed me and I didn't get to be a part of it. But, um, you know, sometimes with technical difficulties, you got to do what you got to do. And Matt uh, obviously did a great job. So uh, 
Thanks again to Kirk. Uh, Really great having him on the show. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Spartans. Probably a more traditional episode. Go over some listener questions. Uh, Matt and I might be uh, drafting some uh, best players at certain positions. You know, our five best point cards. That's something we've got coming up here uh, as we continue to Try to find ways to entertain you during the coronavirus pandemic that has caused sports to seize up all across the world. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Uh, Until then, go green.